trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. Yep, this is the place. This is where we revel in wrong think. We're going to talk a little bit about why we revel in wrong think, too, because I want you to understand to do so is not about just being contrarian. It's not about anytime someone says something. It's about embracing the necessity of speaking the truth, even when it's difficult or dangerous to do so. We're going to talk a little bit about that a little bit later this hour. Um, this, For some people, this may have a little uh, feel of deja vu. And here's, here's what's happened. Um, I, I had a marvelous, marvelous hour yesterday where um, everything was so good. I mean, I was just on point. I had these brilliant insights. And, well, let's just say uh, there was some kind of a technical glitch. And it sounded like it was broadcasting from the far side of uh, Jupiter by the time the audio was, was posted. So that was uh, apparently the dress rehearsal. I'm ready for the real deal. And, and I want to start with something here that, uh, you know, last night was, was kind of a, a bittersweet night for me. I worked my last shift at uh, the neighborhood convenience store where I took a part-time job last summer to make ends meet. And, you know, this has been an interesting experience from so many different perspectives. Um, you know, it's, look, first of all, just understand, I'm willing to do whatever I need to do. To, to provide for my family and to, to make ends meet. And so uh, I'm not above any form of honest work. And I have to tell you, there were, there were times, you know, as I'm emptying the trash, as I'm scrubbing urinals, as, you know, I'm just doing all the, all the things that you don't think about when you go to the convenience store. You know, you go there and it's like, I'm grabbing snacks, I'm grabbing drinks, somebody's going to ring me up. And for a lot of people, that's pretty much, you know, what they're thinking. You know, you don't work at the convenience store. You just, you know, stand there and ring things up. No, there are many, many moving parts to, uh, you know, providing for fast food, providing for the drinks, lots of uh, laws that have to be followed regarding alcohol and tobacco and so forth. It's uh, it's serious work. And and I'm here to tell you, the people who work there, they're, they're not deadbeats who, you know, couldn't get any other job. This is like real work with real opportunity for advancement. So it was very it was very healing to get to uh, to work with my hands. And it was also kind of humbling too. And you know what? I need a shot of hum of humility every so often just uh, so I don't get uh, too, you know, convinced that yeah, I really do have a handle on everything and I must know it. I also love the fact that it put me face to face with a, an extremely broad cross section of the public. And I mean, I have seen, you know, every kind of person, young, old, uh, very affluent to, you know, um, you know, a tweaker coming in because they just don't have anything better to do. I've seen it all. And I'm here to tell you, there are good people. Even in the worst circumstances, there are still good people. And that is a huge reminder to me that, uh, you know, the goal of this program is not to speak the truth and, and sit back and absorb, you know, everyone's accolades. Wow, Brian, how could you be so right? It's about putting the, the truth and light out there for people who are looking for it. 
and and it's all different kinds of people. And it was it was just a this was this has been a very good experience, but I'm not going to pretend it was an easy experience. It was hard. I think uh, mentally, maybe psychologically, it was really difficult sometimes. I've I've spent a lifetime, you know, creating and well uh, developing talents and, and skills that I now put to use on a daily basis. And it was it was tough. There, you know, there's times when you're when you're mopping the floor, you're like, really, <laughs> I did not see myself doing this at this stage in life. But there I was. And and I got to tell you, you know, the the extra income was very helpful. I stayed on the job even after it wasn't necessary, you know, in terms of needing the income. But here's the thing that blows me away. I was astonished at how hard it is for many businesses, including, you know, convenience stores, to fill job openings these days. I watched how many times people would apply, but they were just going through the motions because, you know, well, you know, for unemployment, I got to say that I, you know, applied for this many jobs. But the brutal reality is a lot of folks would just rather wait for a government check that has their name on it than get a job. And I don't want to sound like some heartless Republican, everybody get to work and everything will work itself out. But we have some really perverse incentives right now. And for some people, I guess I can understand as well, I make more money by sitting home, you know, and just chilling. That would be a pretty tough thing to, to beat. Now, I don't know. This is one of the weird quirks about me. And anytime I have, uh, anytime I have found myself like with an unexpected job change, working in radio, that happens on occasion. I can't stand to sit still. I think mentally, I would, I'd lose it if I had time on my hands to think about. Oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, I I need to get out there and and find gainful employment. And I and I've always been very blessed in my life to have. Friends who, you know, upon hearing what you were let go again, uh, they don't, they didn't add that last part, but you know, on hearing that I was let go, were, were super generous and said, look, I've got some work for you if you're interested. And, and it's not an exaggeration. The next day there I'd be, you know, digging post holes or swinging a hammer or shoveling stuff, whatever it was. And I, I, I don't want to sound superstitious or anything like that, I, but it seems like every time I have have taken that approach of, you know what, I'm going to go work, I'm going to do something, and I don't care if it pays $8 an hour, I'm going to do something to keep myself busy and productive and trust that that will signal to the universe, I'm serious about working. And every single time, the opportunities just kind of flow to me. Now, it's I'm, I'm not saying, you know, this is some magical formula, but I'm saying for me, that seems to open the door to uh, to looking for the doors that uh, that have opened rather than standing there yelling at the one that slammed shut. Okay, there we go. So let's talk for a moment about how we could face a labor shortage thanks to trillions in newly printed money. I came across this article from Ryan McMacken. This is from uh, Mises.org, M-I-S-E-S dot org. And he says, if you're tired of binge-watching Netflix, there are likely a few restaurants in your neighborhood who would love to hire you. A job might help relieve the boredom. On the other hand, he says, why work when one can just be one of the more than 6 million former workers now collecting pandemic unemployment insurance? 
Those millions are in addition to the 3.6 million former workers collecting ordinary unemployment insurance. And for many workers, these benefits now total $300 per week. Back in March, President Biden extended the program till September. And then there are many millions more who've recently received a piece of the third round of stimulus payments. All three bailouts combined to total around $460 billion in checks mailed out to Americans. So it shouldn't be an enormous shock when we find out that many employers are having trouble finding workers. Get this, one McDonald's restaurant is actually offering bonuses just for showing up for an interview. Another eatery is offering a $400 sign-on bonus. And he says it's not just the service industry that can't find workers. Construction employers are reporting shortages, as are trucking operations. The NBC affiliate, uh, affiliate out of Green Bay, Wisconsin, reports the price of gas may increase because so few tank truck drivers can be found. And the problem is lack of qualified drivers. He's got a uh, quote here, or a tweet rather, from Chef Andrew Gruel. There are no employees available in California. We're paying dishwashers $21 an hour to start. The two main reasons people tell me they won't work, number one, they're making enough on unemployment and would rather not work. Number two, with schools closed, they can't pay someone to watch their children. How interesting. And I, I don't know what this says about, uh, you know, about our situation. You know, the, the real growth in, in debt in the U.S., is pretty incredible. And with all the money, all the stimulus money that has been printed and distributed, it's it's curious to see some of the unintended consequences. Oh, well, look at this. We gave you money to help because we shut your business down or your locality shut your business down. Well, that's very generous, but it's also provided some very strong incentives for people to not go to work at all. So why am I sharing this with you? Well, because I'm a little bit bittersweet about uh, leaving my friends at the convenience store. And I really worked with an amazing group of people, hardworking people. These are the people you would want to have your back in, in any situation. I'm a little bit melancholy about that. I'm also just a little bit disturbed that there could be so much opportunity and people would be persuaded, nah, I'll just wait for my check. I think there, there's something in our national character that might, might need adjustment if, if that's a prevailing attitude. I got a link to the article in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Quick shout out to my sponsors. They include HSLAmmo.com. I actually had a chance to uh, speak with Spencer Worthington. He's the founder of HSLAmmo.com. Talked with him last night. I'll tell you what, that is a guy who understands the importance of freedom, the importance of free enterprise. And, and I say this not just because, you know, he makes ammo, which... I, I, it turns out may actually be more precious than gold and silver at this point in time. Holy cow, the shortage just continues on. But uh, Spencer not only creates ammo, he creates opportunity. And it's just it's so fun to talk with him because he he loves freedom. He loves liberty. 
He wants to see people succeed and, and prosper. And we're going to dive into that word in a future show. We're going to talk about prosperity. It's not just, you know, rolling around on $100 bills and whatnot. It is uh, it's something that, that encompasses a, a very well-rounded life. But anyway, HSL Ammo is one of our sponsors, MonticelloCollege.org. You want to talk about an education for our time, you should check out the link in the show notes for Monticello College and Pure Light, the most innovative light bulbs you have ever seen in your life. Yes, they kill pathogens, they, they remove odors, they remove chemicals from the air. They, they do the same work as a $1,000 air purification machine with light. It's, it's NASA-inspired technology, but this is affordable. This is something you can actually put to work in your own home. Pure-light.com. Links to all of them in the show notes. All right. Let's talk about wrong think. I, I, I push the idea that it's necessary to be a wrong thinker. And, and it's not just because, hey, we want to create a club where the cool kids are all wrong thinkers. Yeah, wrong think. You know, we're throwing gang signs in the whole nine yards. Nope. It's because... Someone has to be willing to speak up when things are not right. Someone has to make a start. If I could borrow a quote from Sophie Scholl from the White Rose Society from back in, in uh, you know, the Third Reich. Now, we aren't in quite as desperate a situation as Sophie Scholl and her friends were, but when things are so obviously off kilter, someone has to speak up, even when it's difficult or even when it's dangerous to do so. Which is why it's alarming to see how the criminalization of dissent is becoming a very real thing. And this is true, not just in America, it's actually happening in other places as well. In fact, one of the biggest examples of this has been in Germany lately. I've got an article, this is from uh, C.J. Hopkins, the criminalization of of dissent. And it starts with a quote here, governments and their corporate media mouthpieces are telling us that objection to their authority will no longer be tolerated, nor will dissent from their official narratives. Now, just as an aside here, we, we heard a lot of rumblings about this earlier in the year, and, and I, when people were saying, you know, stop the steal, you know, or, or you know, intimating the election has been stolen. And I, I have to say, I can't say with absolute confidence, oh yeah, it was stolen, because I haven't seen or handled the evidence. At the same time, I can say with confidence There's enough questions hanging over the process that I am not convinced it's on the up and up. I haven't seen anything that would prove that, yep, everything was great and it went just exactly as it should. I think our our election system is subject to manipulation. So those of you who are confidently and cockily saying, well, you know, it was not stolen and nothing could be wrong here. I, I think you may be wrong in the sense that you're stating something as a certainty that you don't know either. So I'm, I'm not suggesting we just kind of live in limbo and never really know what's happening, but it would be nice to ask some questions. But if you ask those questions, boom, you get deplatformed. I mean, there were people talking about, well, you know, uh, we ought to have some kind of a loyalty test here. Or some kind of, if you, you, can't, uh, you can't work for this company or you can't hold this public office unless you affirm that absolutely there was nothing wrong with the 2020 election. Okay, what's wrong with that? And it's not just limited to the election, but I'm using this as a very prime example. What's wrong with people asking questions? 
Yeah, I get you. I get you. There are gadflies out there who are, you know, eh, well, it's a conspiracy, man. And, you know, it's the Trilateral Commission. Bohemian Grove. Alex Jones would be more than happy to take you down that rabbit hole. But what if there are legit questions about, well, why did these particular states all stop counting their votes at the very same time and suddenly come up with hundreds of thousands or millions of votes that, oh, look, these were undiscovered between that time they stopped the counting and the time that they reopened the counts. I don't know. It just seems convenient. And given the, given the um, psychological state of the people who were so against Trump, I mean, they lied and lied and brought charges and allegations against him the whole time he was in office. I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that, you know, they might not have a problem with uh, bending the truth to fit whatever ends they're trying to accomplish. And if they're willing to do that just to get their hands on power, I'm not sure that's the kind of person you want to trust with power. So back to the article here from uh, C.J. Hopkins. One of the hallmarks of totalitarian systems is the criminalization of dissent. Now, notice, not just the stigmatization of dissent or the demonization of dissent, the actual formal criminalization of dissent and any other type of opposition to the official ideology of the totalitarian system. Do you you realize there have been serious suggestions? People with a straight face have said, we need a reality czar to protect the American people from misinformation. And by the way, this is happening in other countries as well. Uh, we We need to make sure that there's someone enforcing the official reality that everyone is supposed to acknowledge. Now, I've held for a long time one of the goals of political correctness, or I'll call it by its, its real name, cultural Marxism, requires you to untether yourself from reality. That's the kind of thing that, that requires you to believe things like, well, a person can change their gender at will. You know, men can have babies. Every relationship is really pretty much equal. And, you know, a... Um, what uh, what same-sex couples do in the course of their activities is absolutely on a par with and equal to what heterosexual couples do that actually re- that can, can create new life. You are not allowed to acknowledge these realities under political correctness. In fact, you're severely punished. You're shouted down, canceled, to use the lexicon of, of uh, what we see happening around us today. And this is applied especially with, um, with COVID, too. For crying out loud, Joe Rogan just, you know, made, made his statement as an opinion. If a healthy young person came to me and said, you know, do you think I ought to get the COVID vaccine? And the key being, if it's a healthy young person, Joe goes, I'd tell him, no, man, you're healthy. You're taking care of yourself. You're working out. You're eating right. Why would you need the vaccine when you're already at extremely low risk and you're taking care of yourself? And if you haven't seen it, wow, the whole narrative machine has swung into action. Well, where did Joe Rogan get his medical degree? It's, uh, it's fascinating and not just a little bit disturbing. And you're starting to see in some countries, Germany being one of the, the main ones right now, if you dissent from the official state ideology, they now categorize you as a dangerous extremist. This is not just lightly, hey, you guys are talking like extremists. This is like, no, legitimately, German, the German intelligence agency, the BFV, 
has invented a new category of extremists, which they use to allow themselves to legally monitor anyone suspected of, quote, anti-democratic and or delegitimizing the state in a way that endangers security. I mean, that's that's pretty open-ended. That's uh, that's right up there with Article 58. Uh, it appears, comrade, you are engaging in anti-Soviet activities. And a lot of people are going to end up in the gulag of some sort. It may be a virtual gulag. Maybe it's going to be a legitimate real gulag. But this is the time to really own your own worldview. And if you are someone who sees something wrong and you nonviolently protest or you speak out against or you criticize or you satirize... You are at risk. You got to check out the article. It's the criminalization of dissent. I've got it in the show notes at the BrianHydeShow.com. We'll be back right after this. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Hopefully I haven't scared you just yet. You know, I'm working toward an epic rant, but at the same time, I don't want to scare you away with you thinking, my gosh, he's just another spittle flinger. And and if you find value in the content, in the stories, the the articles, the the guests that I have on this show, I would ask you, please consider subscribing to the podcast. And, And if you want to take it one step further from there, please consider becoming a patron or a monthly supporter. I mean, for as little as a buck a month, you can help me do what I do. And every dollar that, that, that comes to me through those very, very kind and generous donors, I treat that as sacred funds. It's not there for me to, uh, you know, enjoy a lavish lifestyle and, you know, high-end sports cars. This is about uh, proclaiming the message of liberty, free markets, personal conscience, private property. This is about... Speaking the truth as best I know it, and I thank those of you who helped make it possible for me to focus as much of my time as possible on finding and disseminating that comment, or that content, rather. So as a wrong thinker, something you're going to learn very early on is to stop seeking safety and approval in the crowd. And this is hard for a lot of folks. Not only because you don't want to stand out, but if if you are actually pointed at and people say, hey, you're bad... You're, you're engaging in wrong think. That's supposed to discourage you and frighten you into, you know, snapping back into line. Come on, get with the herd. Alan Stevo had this marvelous essay the other day about how uniformity makes us into animals and machines. And he starts with a letter from a reader or an email from a reader who sarcastically says, Well, Alan, now we're part of a small minority. I'm thinking of getting the vaccine. Apparently the other five individuals have already buckled. Maybe I'll get lucky and it'll kill me. Excuse my sarcasm, sarcastic Thomas. And Alan takes this, uh, this writer to task in a very gentle way, but he says, you know, Thomas talks about I'm just part of a small minority. But he says, I don't like that suggestion because it misrepresents hopeful theory as fact. And it's not his hopeful theory. It's the hopeful theory of a propagandist. It's a hopeful theory of the narrative managers who are trying so hard to tell us this is what you're supposed to believe and keep us from noticing things that would be, um, shall we say, inconvenient to those who are trying to consolidate more and more power. So he says, don't represent a lie as fact. 
because it's not true that you are just in a minority and, you know, it's only a tiny minority of people who actually care about, uh, about freedom and about their natural rights. He says the talking voices of the mainstream want you and I to believe that we're part of a small group of people. They want us to feel isolated, but he says the true minority is the group leading society down the path of corona communism. Only by using the many establishment mouthpieces deceitfully can such a small, ultra-minority of deluded people get anyone to believe their destructive nonsense. And the danger here is they think if you tell a lie enough, it becomes reality. But it doesn't. It just becomes an oft-repeated lie. Now he says there's danger in putting your trust in people who are so desperate. And I like his his use of the word desperate. If I turn on the broadcast news for even 10 seconds, he says the desperation is apparent. Never in my life has it been like this. There have been reliably throughout my life a few minutes of desperation in most news programs, but now literally 10 seconds of airtime cannot pass without that desperation coming through. It's a very different level of desperation and deceit, almost totally devoid of anything resembling unvarnished fact. So if you have had that sensation of, why are they lying right to my face? It's the desperation. And here's the funny thing. Alan Stevel points out, as humans, we avoid desperate people. Okay, if, you, if you've been a part of the dating scene, you know, I mean, this is, this is some painful truth, guys, but uh, nothing turns a woman off more than the slightest whiff of desperation on your part. And when we meet people who are desperate, we can pick up right away when they lack the ease or the confidence to deserve our company. And believe it or not, Alan Stevel says that's a, that's a natural and wonderful thing. If a desperate guy approaches you on the street today, you're going to react differently than if a calm and collected person did the same. We just don't want to have anything to do with the desperate guy unless, unless he can convince us, hey, we're all in this together. If he can convince you that his crisis is also your crisis, well, then suddenly his desperation becomes an asset to you, and you might even go along with him and do what he says. Now, Alan Stevo points out here, nearly every totalitarian regime in the days before it toppled looked as mighty as ever to the people living within its walls. Someone always steps forward posthumously and says, well, I knew the end was near, but they probably didn't. Seldom does a member of the subjected populace realize how unstable and how weak a regime is. Because if they did, others would, and the regime would cease to be. They need legitimacy, and when people doubt, well, their legitimacy is in question. It's the belief in the ability of a regime to govern that's so effective in hoisting up regimes. Many more things than lack of faith, though, can can topple a regime. Allen says, turn on the TV. And the desperation is so present, the brainwashing, the narrative, the near inability to tell the truth. It's everywhere on television, desperate people saying desperate things. Now, he says, you might write to me saying, I can't believe how stupid people are. How are they able to say these things with a straight face? And he says, the existence of such lies in the media may even cause you depression. But he says, that's not the case for me. In fact, he says, the more outlandish it becomes... The more certain I am of the end, the more clear their desperation is, the more obvious the flimsiness of the regime is. They'd like you to believe the the opposite, that you're in it together with the members of the regime's Politburo, that you're all just watching out for each other like a couple of friendly neighbors exchanging pleasantries. 
And here's the thing. A lot of people are waiting for permission to act honestly. So when people write to him and say, I can't believe how stupid people are being, how are they able to believe all these stories on the news? He says, like you, they're looking all around and mostly nodding just to keep up appearances. They're waiting for permission to act out. They're waiting for some social cue to speak honestly rather than politely or obediently or subserviently. But if everyone is waiting for permission from someone else, that social cue never comes. He says you have to do the right thing at the right moment, or at every moment, rather, in life, regardless of how unpopular it is, regardless of the consequences. That's the duty of a person of values. And seldom do any of us really encounter a situation where we just can't see the difference between right and wrong. You know the difference in this situation, and if you aren't boldly forging ahead, doing what's right, then you're doing what's wrong, and you must never be one of the people waiting for permission. Now, there are a lot of people who believe the narrative. Well, your numbers are small. You're insignificant. You are part of this marginalized bunch of weirdos. He says it's a very powerful thought that's been planted in, implanted into the heads of so many people who are convinced now they are all alone. But he says you aren't. In fact, he says if you shake the hand of every person you see out in public without a mask, you stop to talk for a few minutes, you get their phone number from them by saying, hey, how do I keep in touch with you? And you follow up a few hours later by inviting them, hey, come sit down with us at the local park to talk next Saturday at 2 p.m. And you do that every Saturday for the next three months. Well, he says within three months, you have a group of people who can upend the local school board or upend the local county board. You might even be able to upend your local congressman. And he warns social media isn't inherently social. In fact, our tendencies when we use it are about as antisocial as it gets. He says, use your phone and your social media and your knowledge of what's right to get people like you outside together, face-to-face, regularly. He actually names some groups, and you'll, you may recognize some of these. Citizen Corps, Make America Free Again, America's FrontlineDoctors.org. I like this one, PeoplesRights.org. That's, that's Ammon Bundy's uh, organization. He says, I have found PeoplesRights.org to be the most advanced of all of these groups, far ahead of its peers, in offering infrastructure and opportunities for socializing. And he says socializing with like-minded folks ultimately leads to activism. Tools like these websites are useful, but you don't need tools. You just need your diligence to meet people, get their phone number, and get together regularly. You do that for three months, and he says, you'll never be able to say to me, I'm in a small minority. And if you're still feeling alone, well, I don't know. I just don't know that many people you know, who, who think like I do. Keep in mind that a lot of people don't tell others what they're thinking. This is what they call the shy Tory effect. If a person holds an opinion that uh, the media mouthpieces consider unpopular, they're less likely to tell that opinion to the complete stranger pollster who probes them about their deepest, darkest secrets. There's nothing controversial about that, by the way. The more psychopathic leftist media machine vilifies you know, anyone who disagrees with them, you know, every time it does that, the less likely the, you know, their psychopathic leftist pollster brethren will be able to get truthful statements from the vilified. So, you're not alone. There are people out there who think as you do. If nothing else, that is one of the purposes for this program. To assure you that uh, you're in good company. And even if it feels like you're standing alone, you are not alone. If you're standing for the truth... You've got some some great power on your side.
We'll take a break. We'll be back in a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back. Just a couple more thoughts here from Alan Stevo's excellent commentary. Uniformity makes us into animals and machines. And by the way, uh, uniformity of thought is always the hallmark of a totalitarian regime. So when people tell you, we've all got to think the same about this, we, we all have to embrace this same narrative, everybody must toe the line, you are not dealing with a free society or people who are comfortable with the idea of people thinking freely. I don't remember who said it, but uh, whoever said, you know, if, live your life so that, uh, so that you are so free that e- your very existence is an act of rebellion. I don't know why, but that resonates with me. Not that I'm out there, you know, waving the flag from atop the barricades, but I like the idea that uh, just simple, mild-mannered, little old me, speaking the truth as best I understand it, could make people really uncomfortable. Because the people who would be made uncomfortable by that that deserve to be made uncomfortable. Alan Stevo says, My anecdotal evidence is what I have, and it's more useful to me than anything in the media. Here's what he means. He says, The anecdotal evidence at my disposal, hard-won, honest anecdotal evidence, is what I have to work with. Now, that's imperfect, but it's still pretty good. And it's definitely more trustworthy than practically anything I find in the rest of the media. Just as a quick aside, how many times does the media tell you, well, America is a hopelessly, systemically racist country? And, and, you know, they, they hype anything they can find to try to point, look at this, racism. This is racism. That's racism and so forth. And yet when you actually go out there among the public and you talk to people, and I mean you talk to people like you and people who don't look like you, you find out that a lot of that is just hype. Most people are actually very decent. They actually want to help people around them. And their primary concern is, well, wait a minute. What's your skin color? Because, uh, you know, <laughs> that depends. Uh, that's going to that's gonna shift how, how much I'm willing to help you. Normal people don't think like that. Racists obsess over that kind of thing. You can draw from that whatever, you know, you want. But the people most obsessed with race probably are the most racist among us. You know what normal people like to think about when they encounter other people? They want to know about their character. I have no problem with that. Alan Stevo says, look, don't worry about the fact that your your information may be anecdotal. He says, by extrapolation, somewhere between 50 million and 330 million Americans don't believe the COVID narrative. I don't know how big or small the number is, but he says, I know it's a pretty big number. He says, though I haven't traveled much during COVID, judging from my past 20 years of traveling the world, hardly anywhere on Main Street Russia, Main Street Zambia, Main Street Nicaragua, virtually anywhere around the world will you find people who believe the narrative of the American media. So by extrapolation, he says, I would estimate that somewhere between 2 billion and 8 billion people breathing at this moment agree with you. That they either don't care enough about the silly narrative to even follow it in the news Or they just don't believe the official story. Now, he says, you think I'd have learned my lesson by now, but it's a constant joyful surprise to me how common it is 
for me to realize that a rural, second-world, or third-world farmer has way more common sense and worldliness than a well-connected, well-diplomed, promising junior executive in New York City. And he says the same is true for any Western technocrat. So please, stop letting the lie be spoken in front of you that just a small number of people don't believe the narrative. Whether or not that number constitutes a majority, he says, well, that's, that's unclear. And he has some thoughts on, you know, what the majority means. You know, we are not a pure democracy in America. And rule of the majority is, uh, is something that's, that people try to drill into our heads. Well, if the majority wants it, then everybody has to wear silly hats on Tuesday. No, no, and no. That's people who just want to group humanity into predictable and controllable boxes. They want uniformity, which he says makes us into animals and machines. And of course, some demonic spirit wants you to take that vaccine, and a bunch of misled people did exactly that. So he says, but you read Genesis 1.27, you know uniformity is not what's intended of you. God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. He says, you've read the work of Ludwig von Mises, and you know that your humanity comes down to your choice, how meaningful your actions and your agency are. Christians call this free will, but such a term doesn't even have to be used. You've read the work of other greats. You know that your spontaneity, your individuality, your uniqueness, your choice is a masterful thing. So Alan Stevo says, don't be a fool and throw away what makes you special just because someone else was foolish enough to do the same. He says, don't let your godlike nature be shoved in a box because you feel pressured to be like others. Instead, live a life that makes it impossible for others to look upon you and not recognize their own godlike nature. That makes it impossible, impossible for people to look upon you and not want to better themselves. Not because you're making them feel guilty, but because you're inspiring them. He says, some have not had the gifts you've had in the world. Some have not had the advantages. More is expected of you. Now, there are twisted people that have existed in every era. Sheepish people have existed in every era. These are constants of human life. The variable is in people like you. Will the moral backbone of a society lead? Will the moral backbone of society stay asleep? There's no one in charge. It's up to you. In your community, in your circle of friends, you're the one called to lead. And your decision to lead or to not lead will determine the direction of those around. And your decision will reverberate far beyond that. Now, it would be nice if it was up to somebody else, but here's the hard reality. It's all up to you. Listen to what he says next here. Alan Stevo says, America does not need Trump, who he calls a generally good and mighty man who he believes was reelected by the majority of the electorate on November 3rd, 2020. But he says, it's not Trump that we need. He said, America needs Jesus, and that's true for believers and non-believers alike. Anyone who knows what he's doing is wrong and still does it needs Jesus most of all, the believer and non-believer alike, the moral example of a man who will stand up even if no one around him gives him permission to stand. We need those examples. And he says, that example is needed of you to be the moral man who stands up even if no one around you gives you permission to stand. I know it kind of puts the weight right on your shoulders. Alan Stevo says, it all comes down to you, dear reader. Will you lead or will you back down? Your community needs you to choose well, to choose wisely. 
to put your own comfort second, to put your values first. What do you believe in? A moment like this, a moment of clarity, or he says it's a gift that focuses the mind and lets you commit to either being a person of values or to being a person of preference. Now he says, I don't care about leading the sheep. I care about waking the lions. By the way, this is, this is how you can tell real, authentic leadership. It's not interested in creating followers. It's interested in creating leaders. That's what he's calling for. Community by community, family by family, circle by circle, we win if you will just be moved to stand up and speak honestly about what you believe, to identify your boundaries, communicate your boundaries, and defend your boundaries. He says, to do otherwise is the most ignoble lie. And dear reader, dear friend, he says, to do otherwise makes you nothing but a liar. And he says, I know you are better than that. So tell the truth. Do it now. Do it every chance you get. Both you and those around you will be most richly rewarded in life if you can do just that. The ripples you will have through the world will be so great as to be immeasurable if you can just do that. Tell the truth. Do it now. Do it every chance you get. I really love Alan Stevo's work, and I think he has been one of the clearest voices, not just on, on the issue of, you know, the COVID restrictions and masking, but... There's some great advice in here for every aspect of life. And if I can just offer a thought on this too, um, don't be so consumed with finding people who think and line up exactly with you in terms of, you know, your values. You will find people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different worldviews and um, a, a lot of different subsets of humanity. The labels don't really matter. Don't look for the differences as reasons to disqualify or to otherwise, well, I really like this person, but, you know, I don't know, he, he likes polka music, and that's, you know, something I just can't really support. If you are sincerely looking for people of good character, you're going to find them. And, oh, I probably should tell you this because I don't want you to be too shocked when you make this realization, but they're going to be imperfect, just like you and me. All I can tell you is great things still come about even when you're dealing with imperfect people. So no more false humility. Don't try to duck out of this. Well, I'm not good enough. I really have nothing to contribute. The truth of the matter is there's something you have to contribute that is uniquely yours and nobody else on this planet can do it like you do. That's why you need to step up. This is The Brian Hyde Show.